Welcome back to Filmcraft, everyone. Today is a special day. Well, it's special to me. Is it special to you, Latif? Because it's special to me. It's a Tuesday. Yes. I am very, very attached to Tuesdays. They are my favorite day. They're all right. Do you don't feel the same about Tuesdays as I do? It's like the Tuesdays are about as good as that. Oh, yes, yeah, March. You know, smart. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> Lousy smart weather. <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch Willie. Good advice. <laughs> I feel like if any listener gets that reference, they have to be our top tier listeners. Yeah. I mean, Simpsons jokes are kind of. Uh, you know, Cougars never watched any Simpsons. What? Yeah, I was talking, I was making a Simpsons joke to him, and he's like, what? I was like, what, you, you've never seen The Simpsons? And he's like, no, I haven't. And I was like, what? Oh, I got to message him as soon as we're done recording. That, that is unacceptable. I know. I'm outing him. He's like of the same generation. No Simpsons. Yeah, Cougar, get your shit together. Jesus. <laughs> but no, today is a special day, because when this comes out, Tomorrow, So we're recording this on the Monday. When it comes out Tuesday, what we don't say is also released worldwide. The wait is finally over for us and the people that would like to watch it included. Distribution deal is coming to an apex, I guess you could say. And if you're hearing this, then you can watch what we don't say right now. It, yeah, I thought it would just be really cool to do a type of um, retrospective look at just the making of it because I did a little math the other day and it's been 38 months that we've been working on what we don't say. How are you feeling the eve of release? It does it, has it hit you yet? Does it feel like just a regular day? How are you feeling Latif? Um, I mean, I, I don't have any specific kind of like, weird lingering feelings i'm excited for it to be out and i and i'm gonna watch it wherever i can as soon as it is out um with friends just because i have friends who've actually never seen the film uh and i think it would be nice for all of us to get together and watch it but Mm -hmm. uh, i'm excited i think you know once it gets out there and people get a chance to watch it it'll be a nice feeling you know you now exist in the in the world of movies and in a way that's bigger than it just being, you know, on YouTube or something. People can yeah. actually see it on, like, proper streaming websites. And there are DVDs that, that now exist. So it's nice that it's part of the kind of mosaic of movies now. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, yeah, I've been thinking about it quite a lot. Like, it hasn't really hit me in a way in a, in a big way I felt that the film festival acceptance and traveling to film festivals was a, a kind of bigger feeling internally and I don't know if that's because you know it was truly the first people in the world other than the people that worked on the movie that were seeing it or if it was you know we would fly to these places and knowing that, you know, at 7 p.m. in three days, there was going to be a theater, hopefully full of people watching it and we get to do a Q&A. So it felt in a in a way more concrete because we knew when people would be watching it. This is, you know, it's just kind of out in the world and people can watch it whenever. But it is a 
a very exciting feeling knowing that the journey is largely coming to a close at this point. And it's, it, I feel proud knowing that something we made for extreme minimal resources is being released in a way that feels professional. It's like one of the biggest things that I'm, I'm happy with was, or sorry, is that the movie is going to be legitimized in this way. Cause I think there is a, it feels like a hurdle to most filmmakers. And I would definitely agree that, you know, you can make a movie, which is hard enough to say the least. It's, you know, it takes a lot, a lot of work. And then to make a movie that is film festival quality is a whole other thing. But then to get, to make something that gets distribution really makes it feel like you did something at least kind of right, you know? And I remember when we took the movie out and we were pitching it to people, or even when I was pitching it to you, the first, first, you know, like sentences that we uttered thinking of plot points and, you know, the overarching story and everything. I remember thinking like, this feels like a festival piece, but I would just be thrilled if, when we brought people on board, we said it feels like a festival piece. And if it just took it a step further and we got a distribution deal and it really made, hopefully makes people's work feel validated. And I remember thinking like the worst way this could go for me internally is if we made this and it really didn't turn out that well and we didn't get into any festivals or get any recognition or sense of legitimacy. So the fact that we're reaching that stage now makes me feel really good that I don't feel like I let people down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> On empty promises. Yeah, totally. Cause like, you know, I love you and everyone that we brought on board to, to make this and everyone worked for no money. It was, it's hard, you know, you're just taking literally years and months and weeks of people's lives and just under the promise of, we think this is going to do fairly well, especially considering that it's a, a no budget, basically no budget movie and the script you've provided them. So people take leaps of faith when they do these projects and knowing that you haven't let them down. That's probably to me, the greatest feeling. And it even kind of overwrites some of the ways where I'll look at a scene or two of what we don't say and just kind of cringe. I think for a lot of people, especially when you start making films early on, I mean, we had this with party stories where, you know, Mm -hmm. we made the film and we're all very happy that we made it, but then it, it didn't end up, you know, getting to anyone, like no one got to see it. Yeah. As as an immediate crew. But I think that, you know, reflects like the filmmaker, like every first filmmaker's feature, like that happens to so many people. Yeah. And then our second experience, we're a little more ambitious, but you know, our our goal was to get it out in front of people so they could actually enjoy the film. And I remember even at Calgary, the first experience of just seeing people, uh, you know, in the theater, like laughing and talking about the movie and then asking questions afterwards. It was super fulfilling. It felt like we're actually um, being seen and your and your work was being appreciated. So when it when it goes out there and, and your name is attached to an actual movie now, it's it, it gives you a lot more. Um, it, it gives like 
the next thing you do a little bit more value because you've been vetted through the industry. Like people know that mm-hmm. you can actually make movies. So going forward, there's a little bit of confidence in that the next project we decide to make or, or whatever we plan to put our time into, people will know that, hey, you know, these guys are serious and they've already done this before. Because I remember going to, you know, producers and production companies or just random people with what we don't say as a concept. And, we're, and we had a script and we're like, oh, this is how we're going to plan to do it. I don't know. Some people are like, oh. I don't think you guys can do it for the budget you're supposing. And then other people, you know, wished us luck and <laughs> didn't decide to jump onto the project. And then now we're uh, sitting here with the film actually widely available. So it's kind of a, you know, testament to just like persisting and, and following through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said before, when you're asking people to come on for no money, it's it's a huge ask and we got some just unbelievable talent in front of and behind the camera so i you know just endless amounts of thanks to all of them and you latif for always being there i mean you and i easily put the the most man hours into this and definitely have to say that you know without you this would not be probably wouldn't even exist yet alone be the project that it is today and the finished movie that people can see yeah thanks i mean it's it's definitely you know i I, you know you get kind of dewy-eyed when you think about like the the early stages of us thinking Mm -hmm. about it and even like um i remember specifically we were walking like up main street away from like a donut shop or something <laughs> was know, that when we were uh, meeting actresses yeah and, and the yeah. sun was setting and i remember turning around and kind of looking at the horizon and it was kind of glowing and the mountains were all there and you can kind of see the city and i felt like oh, i'm excited because it will really be like a vancouver based film like a story that's kind of set in our city mm-hmm. and you know i'd never seen any films that kind of used our city as itself and, and kind of like gave you the feeling of what it, what it's like to live here. And I think that this film in, it, in a way kind of captures like a piece of that. Yeah. And on that note of like looking out to the, the sunset, I remember one of the things that got me the most excited, you know, other than the first thing that got me thinking this could be a movie is really the overarching plot and what we wanted to do with it. But then when we started to drill a little bit further and we started thinking like, okay, this clearly feels like a summer movie and we wanted to make it feel beautiful in a sense, that idea where you're saying like, look out to the sunset. I remember looking at a lot of sunsets like that and just thinking, you know, if we can even capture a percentage of the beauty that is this just reflective Vancouver sunset and really get that on film, then that's going to be a, a pretty special thing. And I think we actually did that really, really well in a lot of scenes. There's a lot of scenes that I would point to and be like, you know, that is a beautiful moment. Even if you just look at still images and take out what's actually happening in the movie, it does look quite beautiful. So I think we we really we did our did our job on that one. I think like, you know, for anything when we're shooting outside under the sun you know on the beach and stuff like that we got extremely lucky on the days Mm -hmm. that we decided to go there because the sun just ended up being in the right place with like the perfect amount of 
cloud coverage and everything and even you know like this the scenes we shot at the beach like all those scenes we shot um uh aside from like a couple of reshoots we, we shot most of them on the same day and we used the same you know sun to light all of those scenes because like um it, you know if it if we didn't have the clouds at a certain place or if the sun set slightly at a different angle it would have changed the shot and it could have ruined everything but we got exactly what we needed to and we kind of planned for what, what we we're going for and i think it's it's a bit of luck because it could have rained on that day and kind of <laughs> given us a completely <laughs> different feel too <laughs> so you know it's a bit of luck but it's also just kind of you know being prepared because we went to that beach a few times before we shot and we kind of walked around and looked at like different areas of it and i think we found the right thing and, and it's a different kind of look too because like i knew i normally shoot things that look a little darker a little more contrasty and out of everything that i've shot this film is actually the most kind of naturally beautiful and vibrant uh whereas everything else i shoot looks kind of like dark and grimy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty fair um i would be shocked if we ever shot anything that we tried to make it look more beautiful than this because in a sense the the summer and the sunset and the beauty of it really was kind of a character and i feel like we always treated it that way and took it with that level of seriousness i actually remember the only time i thought of bending just that a little bit and this is another place where i have to give a lot of credit to you is when we were so we obviously knew this was going to be a summer movie and then i kind of studied like the weather patterns and we talked about it a lot we realized that the end of june was the best time to shoot this because we'd get the the least amount of rain the most amount of sun and it would look the way we wanted to but i remember probably two three weeks two-ish weeks before we shot me you and oliver were sitting down over the first ad and we were going over the schedule there was there is a scene where ben goes to the back door of juliet's place and he knocks on the door and it was written as you know like sunset evening kind of thing and when it came down to physically shooting it and scheduling it i remember it wasn't the easiest thing to fit in there in that time of day so I, I will never forget this and i don't know why it's burned in my memory i was like well fuck it like let's just shoot it at night who cares like he's just going to a door it doesn't matter and you latif you were like no we are not doing that this is you know it, it's gonna look so good with that sunset right there and as soon as you said that i was like yeah why didn't i just stick up for that that's such an obvious thing to do and such a great idea but i was kind of like just for the sake of making the movie easier or doable to film i guess i was ready to cave on it just in that one thing it wasn't like you know let's get rid of all sunsets because that would have been nuts but as soon as you set up for it i was like god thank god the teeth is here <laughs> who, who knows like what this could have looked like or anything so the especially in the area of how everything looked and whatnot like that was a that was a great thing to stand up for and i applaud you for that you're talking about the scene where he breaks the key right like where he goes yeah. to the door yeah. yeah i i mean like just from memory like in that in that moment i remember, i i think i kind of remember like the the look and color of that scene like it's a bit cooler mm -hmm. it's like the sun is either Dim. down or going 
you know, past the, it's got like that kind of glow. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to have like that kind of like evening cool look. Yeah. And I, and I think that's kind of what we got in the movie, but it was definitely like you, in a way, like you don't want to shoot everything during magic hour. Mm-hmm. You, you as beautiful have, as it looks. Yeah. You want to have variations. So like even that scene, it's not technically sunset. It's more like right after sunset or maybe the sun's like behind a building somewhere. And you're not getting, mm-hmm. like, the actual, like, direct rays. So it's got, like, a specific look. But, you know, I, well, in in any film, or and even in this film, like, like what I like to do is a kind of look that we experience in the world. Like, I want to take that from the world and put it into a movie um, and have variations and kind of dynamic, like, lighting and, like, atmospheres when it comes to lighting just because it feels very realistic. But it also, mm-hmm. it's also kind of beautiful in a way. Like every different time of day and every kind of variation of like how the light can act is in itself kind of beautiful. And when you learn to use it in that way in a movie, it, it feels like the movie is not so staged because we're kind of doing like a dance with like the, the natural lighting of, of what we have instead of like trying to overlight everything and, and fake it to the point where it's just perfect lighting all the time, which I don't think is very interesting. Yeah. And I think that that kind of harkens back to the tone of the movie, because even from first pitch and something that carried right on through the, to the finished film, the real tone of it is beautiful, but realistic, you know, it's a, a romantic movie and it does have comedy elements, but we always knew it was going to be very far from your traditional rom-com. And then that really translates to the way it looks as well. You know, we have scenes at Magic Hour that look that breathtaking, you know, multicolored vibrancy. And then we'll have that, like that scene you just mentioned where it still is Magic Hour, but the sun's a little lower. And I remember it's obscured by that retirement home. So it's a bit more on the like kind of blue scale. And then when they're on the tree looking out through the water, that's Magic Hour as well. But because we use most of the water and the reflective light off of that, that also adds a another layer to it so it's never i don't feel we ever tried to go in a way where it was like this looks too good or anything like we always felt kind of in our hearts what the realism of it was while still keeping it beautiful you know yeah there are a lot of like really nice accidents that kind of happen that allow you to get something that you can't even plan for you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of moments in the film that uh, you know, are lit nicely and, and look good, but there's a lot of things that I didn't even, you know, foresee in like a diagram or through a storyboard or anything. They just kind of happened. You know, we showed up and the sun happened to be here, or there's a window like over here, and it kind of allowed us to get like an even better look than I could have imagined. So I think there's a, you know, you have to plan, and we did a lot of planning and talking and, and kind of like, oh, yeah. And, but there's also a lot of flexibility and you know when you get there you kind of have to just kind of use your intuition and and judge what the best thing to do is because you know with that sunset at the park you know with the lake you know we talked about that so many times and i remember i was walking through that park and trying to find the best spot and eventually thought like well we could do it right here you know the sun kind of sets in front of them It'll kind of work for lighting and stuff. And then we ended up shooting it. But I remember when I was doing the grade on those shots, looking at the close-ups, especially on Juliet's, like it's got this really warm, kind of beautiful, soft light. 
from the direction of the sun. But then on her opposite side, there's kind of like a cool bluish, maybe like reflecting off of like the, the leaves and stuff, a little bit of greenish like shadow side, which actually looks really beautiful. But mm-hmm. it wasn't something that I planned. It just kind of happened by itself. It's like little moments like that that really kind of open up the movie in a way. Don't think that we showed up on set and it was like, look at all these happy accidents. They really made the movie. Like, we planned the shit out of this. And where Latif was saying, you know, we we went and we shot at this tree. We did do that. We went and there was a tree there and we shot at it. But we also went tree climbing for three nights, you know? And we got to various different heights of various different trees and looked at the lighting and looked at how everything looked around it and what field did this tree give us and we really did everything we could when it came to planning so i feel like in a way we kind of enabled happy accidents to a certain degree definitely not all of them but definitely don't take this in a way where you don't need to plan you do and you need to plan a lot but you will be rewarded for it as well yeah you have to build like you have to build the sandbox, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And then you have to allow yourself to play in the sandbox once you're there. So I don't want pe- people to get the idea that we just showed up with the camera and thought, oh, look at all these happy accidents. <laughs> yeah, so yeah that, you're right about that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so just thinking back at this thing, like, what are your what are the biggest thoughts that come to your mind when you just look at the three years of making this movie. Well, I think it's really like production goes by so fast that you're kind of, I guess, surprised. I mean, I, I hear stories of other people's like independent, like films and stuff, and they make it for like, I don't know, 20, $30,000. Mm-hmm. which compared to you know how much we made our film for seems like a lot of money i'd oh, love to make a movie for 20 grand <laughs> um, so you know we're, we're really playing like the the really independent game and we're using all our resources and we shot so fast you know yeah. it was like nine yeah. days plus a f- couple of reshoot days and then we cut this thing together just me and you sitting at at the computer for months on end and then mm-hmm. and then I would do the grade by myself um, and we did all this stuff to the best of our, our ability and again I tried my best to technically make it look as as good as possible and, and try to like meet the standard of, of what films look like um, obviously I didn't get everything right but I, there's a lot of parts of the film that I'm pretty proud of and you know even the color grade like I I did my best and I think I went through the film maybe like seven or eight times <laughs> after I said I was finished just because I was like, oh, but I got to fix that thing and this angle and all this other crap and, and trying to just like nail it down. But it's that kind of like, I guess, crazy ins- internal drive that just wants to make it as as best as it can be that kind of brings you to that place. Whereas I've I've worked on projects, and I remember the directors being like, "Uh, all right, screw it, that's it, we're we're done. And then they just kind of move on. Um, And just knowing myself, even with other projects that I've worked on, I have this kind of crazy need for it to be exactly 
the best that it can be before we're finished with it. Um, but not to the point where it's like this crazy per- perfectionist trap where you you won't stop until it's perfect. Not that, but more like you won't stop until it's the best that it can be for what you have. And I think we had that kind of approach to this. And I think for sure, even in, in post and creating the look of the film, it was very much this kind of need and want for it to be the best that it could be. And I also remember having a chip on my shoulder because someone said the lighting in party stories was unprofessional. (laughs) (laughs) That was, you know, looking back at it, um, I'm glad that happened because we both walked away from that meeting being like, fuck you, motherfucker. We're going to make something so much better than we would have before. And I think, honestly, we benefited a lot from it. Yeah, I I think it's just one of those things you want (laughs) from a little... You know, I was definitely a little bitter because... You know, I, I thought party stories looked exactly like it was supposed to look. Um, I wasn't trying to make the movie look like some sort of cinematic masterpiece. It was to look <laughs> like a, a house party, but a little better, which I think we accomplished. And then with what we don't say, I was like, oh, you know, I was so mad that I, I wanted to make it look so good. <laughs> so that when people watched it, no one would be like, yeah, the cinematography was little... <laughs> Yeah. Well, you definitely succeeded there. I mean, every time we show any portion of the movie, people are always like, this looks really good. And then they find out the budget and they're like, how the hell did your cinematographer do this for that? I'm like, he's the man. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to use like giant lights all the time. Um, You know, we did have, you know, an HMI that I used almost all in every scene at some point, um, just because it would give us that extra juice that would just give us a little more exposure than than you'd normally get but you know there's a lot of scenes where we didn't use the hmi you know when we shot in like interiors especially for like ben's apartment you know there's no way we could put an hmi in there no Um, we would have burned the place down yeah i don't even think there's a window in there i think that was one of the no there isn't (laughs) um so it was definitely a bit of like maneuvering and and rigging and, and secretly putting a light just off camera and just out of frame and stuff like that. But it's kind of uh, trusting yourself as well because it, I was, you know, a little annoyed from, you know, that the, the one comment of, oh, the party story's lighting is a little, looks a little cheap. <laughs> um, because we were lighting that for like, to be able to shoot 360 as well. So it was all kind of overhead yeah. lighting. Um, and then with what we don't say, it was so designed. Um, and there's all, and I, I don't think there's any scene without a light somewhere outside a frame or something. Um, yeah. And, and even if it's natural light, there isn't any scene without like a bounce board or a, a giant floppy sitting just off camera or something. So everything was very <laughs> controlled, but it was definitely done with a lot of uh, urgency. Like I wanted to make sure that, you know, the way the movie looked wouldn't be something that would distract anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually have an interesting question for you. Cause I remember when we were going into production, like we'd done tons of planning and everything, but I remember at one point we had a conversation where you were like, so just so you know, like shooting this, it, it's not going to be like party stories. And I remember being like, yeah, yeah, totally. And I could tell you weren't buying it. And you're like, you know, there's going to be like setups and, and it's going it's to take time. And like, 
you're cool with that, right? And I was like, yeah, totally. So I think like when I said, yeah, you were almost like, ah, do, do you really know though? And then when we got on set, it actually worked out really well. Like there was a couple times where it was like, okay, you know, let's, let's shoot faster. Let's move faster kind of thing. But how was the, call it transition going from party stories where like we didn't have to set up lights we just hit record and film a bunch of stuff to going to what we don't say which is much more of a traditional movie in the terms of you know setting up and angles and adjusting lighting and all that kind of stuff like how was that transition for you i mean shooting what we don't say is a lot closer to the to like other projects that i've worked on because we're taking a lot time for lighting setups and stuff um, the party <laughs> stories we generally like pre-rigged a lot of the the lighting in the room. There's yeah, only pretty a few much scenes. everything. Yeah, there's only a few scenes where I had to set up some lights and stuff outside as well. But you know, with what we don't say, it felt a lot closer to how I normally work on projects. Uh, anyways, but it still was very fast. Like I, I still had to move very fast with every scene, every lighting setup, and stuff, and. There's a lot of kind of chance and and timing that played into like how how we got a scene shot or something, you know. Mm-hmm. There's some scenes and and places where we spent a lot of time. There's some scenes where we shot like three takes. And we're like, okay, we got it, and we're like, okay. <laughs> and there was some where like that's all the time we had. The scene where they're on Ali and Ben are on the couch, and Ali's in his white suit. Uh, it's just like a two shot the entire time. And the reason it's a two shot was because that's all we had time for. We got like, what, three, four takes. And it was like, well, we have to move on. We're literally out of time. <laughs> that's how fast we shot this movie. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, there's some moments where there's very little control and not a lot of, um, you know, room to play around where we had to kind of just get get things as we could i even remember the scene where um ben and caleb were walking down that long street um that was shockingly hard to shoot i thought that was going to be way easier (laughs) yeah we had to do like seven eight takes of that all through technical stuff like a car would drive by or a kid would start yelling like the weirdest things yeah, there'd be like music playing and from some house or like crows would just start freaking out um, and <laughs> ruin the sound and stuff. And I wasn't operating on that shot too. Um, Victor, our gaffer, was uh, using his Ronin um, yeah. and tracking as we walked down this hill. And, you know, and it was a really nice moment. You know, we picked the right time of day to shoot um, lighting-wise, but it took us a couple goes until we finally got the shot. But, you know... You think just two people walking down the street would be pretty easy to shoot, but it turns out it's it became very complicated. Whereas when we shot like I don't know, like stuff at the fair with just like tons of people and all this stuff and worrying about sound and stuff, we ended up shooting that so fast and so quickly, um, and we got out of there before the day was even over. It was like a complete, you know. It was like diametrically opposed to stress level <laughs> shooting people walking versus shooting in like a crowded fair. Yeah, it's amazing how just little things pop up and 
suddenly you're there for three times as long as you thought you would be. That just gave me an interesting idea for one of these episodes. We should cover when... So when we first started shooting at the fair, there's a little dialogue exchange. And initially we had shot it inside this um, like kind of food courty thing. I remember it was right next to the Pizza Pizza. And it, it, like it was going okay. There was some noise and it didn't quite fit what we needed. And we must have spent like 40 minutes to an hour on it there. And we just made the impromptu decision of like, we got to go somewhere else to shoot this. And thank God we did, because where we ended up going to get it was exponentially better than the initial shoot. And I, I, I can't even really remember where that came from, but I'm so glad that we had the thought of this isn't working. We need to reassess because if we had put that initial shoot next to that pizza pizza in that food court in there, I think it really would have hurt it. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like this little orange colored, like dinky corner of the food court. And I remember thinking like, this place looks kind of dumb, Mm -hmm. but it was written into the script that way. We'd kind of shot at like a food area. So we ended up picking something that looked like that. But I remember when we were walking around and finding different areas, we found this little like kind of stable haunted house looking building thing. And then there was like a ride in the background. I thought, let's just shoot the scene again right here. We might end up using this one instead. And, you know, it, it turned out to be the, the one we used and the setting and the look of it all just felt a little better. And it was mm-hmm. actually a lot quieter around there, too. So it was just kind of like freestyling and, and reimagining where a scene could take place place as opposed to like how it was written or something yeah yeah we should dig that footage up take a look at it again and let me know i the way i remember it is quite a bit worse than what's in the the finished film and i'd be curious if my memory is accurate yeah uh i'll see if i could find any stills and send it to you (laughs) um i had a thought yeah so on the note of like um when I said, you know, we had that scene where he breaks the key at the back of the house and I said, let's just shoot it at nighttime and you push for the the more sunsetty thing. I've actually thought about that experience quite a bit. Uh, like it actually had a pretty profound impact on me. And one question I wanted to ask you, which uh, I'll just answer first and then ask you, um, is moving forward. Like, were there any standout moments from what we didn't, don't say or party stories where you really took a a lesson from a kind of strange moment where you wouldn't necessarily take a lesson and what is that lesson brought that you're going to bring forward into your next movies and mine is when we were shooting party stories you know like it was my first time directing anything and it was just you know once your first time you just wing it right like the first time you have sex you don't know what you're doing you just kind of try some stuff mm-hmm. and then when you go to make your second movie, which is what we don't say in our case, that you have a lot more confidence and a lot more skill and everything, you know, theoretically, you're going to be a, a more well-oiled machine. And I find myself thinking, like, what am I going to try and do differently? And what am I going to keep the same from our experiences moving into our third movie? And one of the things is thinking of that moment where you pushed for that sunset. And I think there's moments in what we don't say where not even necessarily negatively reflected the finished film where I kind of was thinking more in a, 
producerial kind of way than in a director way where it was, let's not do another take. Let's try and get people home earlier because they're, you know, doing this for free. Or let's just make that little sacrifice and not shoot that angle or not do this or not not do that for the sake of ease and just thinking. I remember thinking, if we don't take these little concessions, then we might not, you know, get our days in. We might not finish the movie. And looking back at it, I think we could have taken a little bit more liberties, mostly on my end, um, to try and try new things, I guess. So I'm thinking towards the third project, like just and being a bit more for lack of a better word, relentless, like mm. really going for it and trying to execute that vision 110% instead of 99%. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what are the things that you're going to take forward, whether it's you're going to take forward because they were good or you're going to make sure they don't happen again from what we don't say in party stories? You know, there are moments like for certain scenes where, you know, we played with... Um, you know, I, I think I, I remember specifically like in the coffee shop, but also in the restaurant, both like sitting at tables and, yeah. you know, there's a window in the background. I remember for the coffee shop, I was going to put the HMI outside the window and shoot it into the coffee shop and use that as like the key light. Um, there's already light coming from the window, but I kind of wanted to pump up the intensity just because it was a little mm-hmm. darker in the coffee shop. Um it kind of absorbed all the light coming in that I wanted to get a little more punch on their faces. Um, but the sun was moving right over the building across the street and it was actually shining directly into the uh, coffee shop. And from the position of it, I thought, oh, this is perfect. The sun is kind of doing what, what I would with the HMI. So I said, screw <laughs> it. You know, like, won't put the HMI up. Just put the silk in front of the window and move it back and the sun's going to shine through the, sh- the silk. And it gave us great exposure. It looked really nice. But there's a certain point where the building kind of like went up, and so the sun would peek behind the um, <laughs> peek behind the building a little bit, and then the exposure would go way down. Um, and I'm shooting on, I th- I'm pretty sure I'm shooting on the 24, um, and the widest it went was a 2.8. So when the sun went behind the building, the exposure went down like a whole two stops, so it looked way darker. And mm-hmm. I remember having, a, it was specifically on Ben's angle yeah. where it went dark. And I remember we used some of the takes where it did go a little darker. And in post, I had to like do a lot of work to, to match everything and make it look even. And no one noticed. Um, I think I could kind of barely see the little change in exposure, but I kind of brought it all together in color. But it's one of those things where I kind of now... Uh, I, I'm starting to understand in a more intrinsic level the reason behind why. I mean, it's obvious in the first place, but until it happens to you, you don't really realize it. The reason why, you know, even if the sun is shining through the window, you might be shooting that scene for an hour and a half. So you have to create that your own. will change. Yeah, you have to create your own sun source. Um, yeah. If you're shooting for like 10 minutes and you have enough time to get everything then you know you you might be able to get away with that but because i didn't put the hmi up i had to kind of really mess with it in post but i knew kind of how to get there it was just a bit of like oh. 
it's what it, it's more of a technical thing and i think it's kind of a rookie mistake but it's not anything that kind of had an impact on the film anyways but i think just in the future those are things that i think about um and trying to like guess and gauge whether i need to do that with a certain moment or scene and, and trying to figure out when i don't yeah yeah totally fair mm-hmm. it's interesting like Looking back at it, I remember when we started What We Don't Say. Before it was What We Don't Say, it was called Popsicle at the start. And thinking, like, I've learned so much from party stories. I really feel, you know, like I'm a a better director moving into this, which I still think is true. But I think at the time I thought it was like I over <laughs> it was overblown in my head. So now looking back at it, I'm like, you know, I was a better director after party stories going into what we don't say and i'm sure going into the next project i'll be an even better director then but yeah i remember doing a podcast and saying like you know now that we've done party stories we kind of learned what doesn't work and what does work i I kind of know what i want and then when we were in the edit i was like before what we don't say there was a couple times i'd be like oh do we have this angle or that angle we're like we didn't shoot that like fuck why didn't we shoot that? I thought I knew what I wanted. Did I lie to myself? <laughs> but it's all these, you know, growing pains from every side of creativity. You know, every script you're going to write is theoretically better than the last because you're a better writer, even if it isn't a better plot. I'm sure you're better at writing those sentences and using you know, the, the English or whatever language you're writing in to get your point across. And then, you know, directing, going from party stories, what we don't say, I'm sure I was a little better at getting performances out. You and I were better at communicating the way we wanted things to look. And, you know, it's interesting feeling that if it was looking at it as an RPG, that like leveling up kind of progression in hindsight. Also, like it's kind of a, it's weird it's weird for me because I don't really consider myself like as someone who's aspiring to be a cinematographer Mm -hmm. so it's really weird when you're attached to a movie and it's coming out and then most people like know you as the cinematographer for the movie but really like I'm it's kind of a odd thing because I you know I think of myself as a filmmaker you know and Mm -hmm. I, I write and and make my own films and it's kind of what I want to do but when a film comes out and then you know all the images start to come out and because you've shot them you're like oh yeah I'm a cinematographer Um, (laughs) but then you're also uh, the editor on it but I don't think I've ever been like hey I I edited this movie because it almost feels connected in a way Um, so it's also even just finding out how best to position yourself when the movie comes out um because you know we both had so many different duties on the the film and we and we did a lot of different things but i think it's just about positioning yourself in a way that helps the film get out there the, the the furthest and i think if i you know claim the cinematographer hat and start you know sharing stills and getting it to different people and stuff like that, it has a better chance of the film being seen by more people. Um, but it's an, it's an interesting thing because well, people have reached out to me and said, oh, 
So, do you want to shoot my thing? <laughs> and then I, th- I have to think to myself internally and be like, I'm not a cinematographer. <laughs> and I don't want to shoot your movie. <laughs> because I'm already in the kind of like throes of making my next short film, which I've written and I'm planning on shooting. Um, but it's this weird kind of thing where I think a lot of people think like I'm a cinematographer. And I kind of feel like I'm gaslighting. Like, I I guess I could be a cinematographer, but I don't really think of myself as one. um, Because it's not something I want. But with what we don't say, you know, a lot of people really like how it looks. And it's like, oh, who did the cinematography? Part of me almost wants to be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Some guy. Some jerk. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting to think about because I think in a lot of ways, like, what we don't say is kind of like our weird love-making child you know <laughs> like it's the filmmaking of both of our filmmaking that is come together and because there's so much of each of us in what we don't say i think like i'll watch parts of it and see a lot of stuff that i feel came from you know my mind and my soul and then i'll watch other parts of it and i'm like that has such a Latif stamp on it to me. And I think in a really, really good way, I think they're very complimentary of one another. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of moments that I feel like do touch on my own sensibilities. Um, Mm -hmm. But definitely when the film is, you know, over and done with and people see it, I do think it's very much, uh, it does speak, you know, to your voice and your kind of direction, you know, as the director. Because it's mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's an idea that you birthed from your mind and, and you've kind of brought into the world. So it will always kind of have that through line connection to yourself. But I do see a lot of moments where I'm like, yeah, you know, that camera movement or the way that the lighting looks or even like the kind of editing pace of like a scene or, or a moment in the film does feel very connected to my own sensibility. So it is kind of this weird like Frankenstein of a movie that, that has both of our kind of dna yeah totally you know what actually gives me that more than anything else and i think it's just because one of the it's one of the earliest things that i remember like felt intrinsically latif to me when we were writing it was the scene before they get on the roller coaster and she calls him neurotic Mm -hmm. Uh, just that word neurotic and like the phrasing of the way it was written i was like that is something where i don't think i ever would have arrived at that particular wording for that particular thing Mm -hmm. but it works so well for the character and just because maybe it's because you wrote that passage of it but every time i look at it i'm like that's so latif but it works so well right there yeah i remember writing that whole scene and feeling um it was directly something i took from like my own experience with a friend who is very neurotic and and has kind of these, like, his mind will go to the worst place. And he has, like, this list of, like, the worst things that can happen. And (laughs) and I thought that would be perfect for right before they go on, like, this big roller coaster. So it was was definitely, like, based on my own experience. But, you know, I think it's those little moments. And um, because I I only wrote the first draft with you. I think Mm -hmm. we split up scenes and I wrote the first draft. But then subsequently you did all the rewrites on your own um, because at that point I think I was moving more into like production stuff um, on my end. 
Yeah, it was just moving so quick at that point. It was like, you know, you and I both have a ton of shit to do. And it's so weird looking back at it. Like, we prepped this 13 months before we shot it. And just to say that, it's like, wow, 13 months, that's a lot of time. It moves so goddamn fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, we say prep, but we're also like writing (laughs) between the 13 months we're like finalizing the script and stuff as well as mm-hmm. like getting cast everything together so it's it a true like like from zero to a hundred and now we're ready to shoot the film kind of pre-production mm-hmm. yeah. honestly though like i'm really glad that it happened that way and i'm actually looking back at it very very glad that we both knew that it was a summer movie because i think if we had landed at the thought of you know, oh, it's it doesn't necessarily need to be summer. It could be any time of the year. You know, we don't need to shoot it in June. We can shoot it in October. There might have been, uh, should we push this moment? And I think what we don't say is as good as it was ever going to be, you know, unless we pushed it and made it as our seventh movie, you know. Yeah. But in terms of making it as our second movie with all the resources we had and whatnot, the time constraints, it... It worked out really perfectly, I think, for what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, we got we had kind of this perfect shooting window. You know, we we managed to get this big crew of actors and random people together, to, and in such a short period of time, then really kind of built a little tank around this movie. I think we, we were definitely like in a in a weird kind of like lightning strike moment where it just kind of came together as you know. You couldn't have asked for a better kind of production schedule for us. Here's a question for you. What did you think when it came to you? Because when we first talked about it, we were like, you know, obviously it's going to be a shoot that's longer than party stories. But what did you think when I came to you and you're, and I was like, okay, eight days. That's what we have to shoot this. Were you like, oh, shit, that's not enough time. Or were you like, okay, we can do this. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I don't think I, I thought like, there's no way we could make this just because you know i i was with you when we wrote the first draft i kind of really knew this story inside out that i felt based on what we'd created that we could shoot a lot of it because a lot of it would just be kind of a skeleton crew running around and picking up moments and shots in different locations and and i have a weird kind of thing where if ever we shoot anything kind of skeleton crew style, I can shoot almost twice as fast. We just end yeah, it's just easier. Um, so a lot of stuff I knew we could kind of bunch together, but also we'd scattered all the locations together, and they were all mm-hmm. very accessible. Um, and and I knew we'd be able to get everything we needed at these locations because we'd spent so much time at every location we were going to shoot at. So it, it it wasn't like I you showed up. To, you know, to me with like a script and then like a week before shoot, like eight days, you want to do it? <laughs> you know, I, that would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Like, I think in that case, like, I would have completely botched it. It would have been, you know, like a shit show. But because we'd spent so much time planning and creating the story and, and even just like concepts of, of the film from the very beginning, that once we got to our schedule, we both knew very well what it was going to take to make it. So I wasn't like intimidated at that point. But if I was like a, you know, 
gun for hire and you showed up and like you want to shoot this movie <laughs> then it would be a different story <laughs> would you take a job if someone a week before was like i have eight days do you want to shoot a feature oh yeah if they paid me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <fair enough. laughs> for free hell no <laughs> that's awesome because yeah. we, we also had a couple days to recharge in between i think it was like five yeah. days a couple days to kind of rest up and then go at it for the next three Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't eight, eight in a row, which I think would have been a, a lot more exhausting. Those, I agree. Those kind of two days to just chill out really got everyone back on and ready to go again. Um, I think I, even in the first kind of cast and crew screening we had with everyone at your place, I remember when the movie ended, everyone was just kind of completely like surprised because I think people were happy with the work they did but i don't know because you know i don't know what it's like to be an actor you just show up on these like sets lights are everywhere you don't know what the hell it's going to look like you know you're just relying on the filmmakers to do their job um but because i i'm the guy behind the camera and i've been doing this for a while i kind of had a feeling this was going to look pretty good and, and be a pretty strong film but the actors you know for them, it's always kind of a crapshoot. They don't know what they're going to get. So when they saw the film for the first time, I remember a lot of them were just like, oh, my God, I can't believe we made that. They, they, were, they were actually mm-hmm. very grateful to have like put the time and effort into making the film. I remember feeling extremely satisfied by that reaction from everyone because they were so proud of the movie. And I think it's just kind of those, you know, lucky moments when everything comes together. Yeah, I remember the screening. Like, obviously, we went into it, and I was like, fuck, I hope people like this, because, like you mentioned, they give so much of their time, and so much of the movie is in the edit, so actors can just act the shit out of their scenes, and, you know, if we wanted to, we could recut party, or what we don't say right now to be a huge pile of shit. No problem. Like, no problem. <laughs> you can make any good movie a huge pile of shit in editing with ease. So when actors show up, or, and crew to that extent, they show up, they do their job, and they do their best. But it really comes down to what, you know, we do with it in post. It, and I guess also if it has a potential to be good. So when the screening happened, I remember I was pretty nervous. I was drinking a bunch of beer. Mm-hmm. And probably halfway, three quarters of the way through, the lights were out, the sun had set, the movie was still going, and I looked over and someone was crying, and I was like, oh, it's landing, it's happening, sweet. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to have that happen during a cast and crew screening, but when we took it to film festivals, and I don't watch it in film festivals because I've seen it enough goddamn times, but I'll, I'll kind of watch people and seeing some some tears roll down people's cheeks, seeing people laugh. And I remember there was one moment where there was a couple watching it. I can't remember where we were, but a a more emotional scene was happening on the screen. And the guy just reaches over and holds his girlfriend's hand. Like he appreciated her. And I was like, that is, that's awesome. Like our movie is eliciting this emotional response that people feel on a, a, soulful primal level and there i was like okay this is pretty sweet and also fun story to tell on the note of like actors just kind of trust you they show up didn't do their thing but it's up to the filmmaker to make it well when we were in calgary international after the 
I guess it was the closing gala. We all went up to the bar and, you know, we're drinking and everything. I remember Rachel came up to me and she threw her arm around me and she's like, Matt, I got to tell you, I didn't always have faith in you guys. At a certain point, I was like, is this going to be good? But then I was like, no, it's going to be good. All the talk we've had, the script, it's going to be good. And I was like, Rachel, I would be worried if you didn't have that thought. Because, you know, we realistically, like, we're two guys that just came to you and we're like, we don't have any money, but we want to make something that's pretty cool. We really like you. Will you be a lead? Sure. Like, to not have those hopefully infrequent moments of like, oh, I really hope this is good. If she was just like blindly going for it with no doubts at all, I'd be like that you're almost not human at that point. (laughs) But it really meant a lot that she... She said that just saying, like, I kind of feel, you know, dumb about my doubts that I previously had. Look how well it came together. And that to me, I thought was very validating because I think it's very natural. You know, you're making a movie for $6,000. People be like, do these guys really know what they're doing? And then for us to actually prove like, yes, we do know what we're doing. We can make something of quality. It's going to get into festivals and blah, 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 blah. That felt really nice. Yeah, I mean, that's why I sympathize with with all actors, because they work on so many stupid projects with, like, incompetent filmmakers all the time. And I yeah. feel really bad for them. You know, when I was putting out casting calls for my recent film, I felt so bad um, when I put out the casting call, because there are just all these actors, like, trying to, you know, get an audition or a part in the film. And it made me sad in a way, which I don't know if that's normal, just seeing all these people applying for the film, because I thought, my God, you know, these people do this all the time and they probably send up their resumes and headshots to like the dumbest projects or just like ridiculous roles. (laughs) And, you know, I felt really grateful that people wanted to audition for my film. And it also made me, you know, take serious that, you know, I'm going to try to make the best film I can. So whoever, comes on board feels really grateful after the fact like hey I got to work on a cool project so I felt a lot of sympathy and I still do for actors um, and performers in film just because you know they always I, I think a lot of the times they get the shit and the stick especially when they're like beginners or you know unknown actors even if they're talented they have to work with a lot of bullshit yep yeah I'd say that's pretty undeniable actually mm. Yeah. Um, so let's jump forward a little bit. Like we've talked quite a bit about our the hindsight of pre-production and production. What, looking back at post-production and the festival run and everything, what comes to your mind? Going to Calgary was really nice because you get to see it played in an actual movie theater on a proper screen. Yeah, your DCP of the film is projected as as true as it it can be to a certain extent. Um, it was very gratifying to see it on film that way. But um, I think it was just interesting for me to go through the process of getting like all the assets for the distribution, you know, creating the DVD menus and stuff was actually a, a really big time suck because I'd never done anything like that before. You know, I had to sit and get stills from the movie and a bunch of like menu title stuff and create all of that stuff for the DVD. So, you know, for anyone out there who's getting, getting a DVD of the film, which will be available as well. 
Um, not just like an online version, all the menus and the titles and the, you know, sub menus on the DVD I, I created myself. So it, it it's they look kind of, great too. Yeah. I was happy with how it turned out and I didn't want it to just kind of look like a generic thing. And I remember asking the, the guy who was actually authoring the DVD if I sent him like a video clip for the main menu would he be able to insert that and he's like yeah i could put that in and i remember being very happy about that because it, it just kind mm. of added an extra it pops yeah it, it feels like we tried with even with the dvd menus it doesn't feel like a cheap like as quick as possible get it out there kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah i totally agree that fucking dvd man or distribution is a, a huge pain in the ass mainly because we hadn't done it before I'm sure going forward it won't be nearly as bad but um, yeah looking back at the even the festival run I was curious when we got our first festival acceptance it ended up being the Fort Worth Indie Film Showcase where we won Best International Feature which is awesome um but that getting that email that hit me pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. I remember like just sending out tons of submissions, and we never got in anywhere with party stories. So I was keeping intentionally keeping my my hopes very low. So I was like, you know, if we don't get in anywhere, it's no big deal. I'm still proud of the movie, and I think we got like one or two rejections. And then I really, really dashed my hopes. And when we got that email of, you know, you're accepted, congratulations, contact, blah, 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 for further whatever. I remember, like, my heart really started beating. And I was like, oh, my God, someone liked the movie enough that they want to take it into their festival and show other people. So when I, I can't remember if I texted or called you, but when I told you about it, what was your reaction? Like, how did it hit you? I actually remember when you messaged me because we were doing a shoot and it was the last day of the shoot and I was driving home and I was actually in the car and then I got a message from you saying, oh, we got accepted to Fort Worth. And I was very excited because it was the first festival that, you know, accepted the film. But I was with, you know, random film people in a car and I was just sitting long day, a little sweaty. <laughs> it was very uncomfortable. And um, it was kind of like the, the first, you know, piece of good news related to the film um, once it was finished. And I, and I and I thought, oh, this is really good because I'm, I have a feeling a few more festivals are going to take the film as well. Because uh, we got that pretty early on. Mm -hmm. You know, and we ended up going to, you know, Full Bloom in Calgary. And that was also really, really exciting and really good. Uh, you actually went to Full Bloom. I never went, but I, you know, from what I hear, that was like a really fun experience too. It happened quick after that. Like we got accepted to just a whole bunch rapid fire. And, you know, for anyone listening, there was a lot of rejections in there too. It wasn't like we got two rejections and a bunch of acceptances and that was it. Like you're going to get rejected from the majority of festivals you apply to. But we actually got accepted to, within a couple months, like a lot of festivals, which was... A, fantastic feeling and then yeah when we started going to them and seeing people's reaction to it even in some of the festivals where there wasn't 
you know, like the, the screens were only okay or something like that. But just seeing people's reaction to it was really, really nice. And, you know, getting to do Q&As and I did a couple seminars on how to make a movie for no money. It was a blast. You get to meet people. Uh, one of the moments that I'll never forget, actually, was at one of the first festivals we went to. We went to see as many movies as we could. We saw this one feature. And, like, you know, it was all right. It, it, it's not going to blow your hair back or anything, but it was okay for what it was worth. It played before ours, so ours played the next day. Mm-hmm. And then the Q&A afterwards, we stuck around for all those. And this one, uh, there was an audience question of how long did it take to shoot your movie and what was the budget? And the director said, you know, I think it took 22, 23 days and our budget was like 75000 or something like that. And I remember as soon as he said that, the audience gasped. And they were like, how did you shoot it for so little, for so fast? Like, that's no time at all to make a movie. And the second I heard that, I was like, when they hear our answer tomorrow at our screening, their heads are going to explode. This is going to be awesome. (laughs) And then the next day when we had our screening, we got that question, you know, how how many days did you shoot for? Um, What was your budget? And we said it and people were just floored. Like you could almost hear Jaws hit the floor. It was it's a very nice feeling knowing that you could make something of quality that people enjoyed that much where they truly couldn't believe what you how you made it, you know? Um, what do you remember from, or what were the highlights from the Q&As that we did at Calgary for you? Or just anything about Calgary in general? You know, I don't know. Like, I really enjoyed seeing the film with all the crew again, for sure. Um, but there's something kind of nice about just walking around the city at night. Um, I remember it was like snowing almost, and I've never been to downtown Calgary before, and it was actually really nice. It kind of reminded me of San Francisco, which sounds crazy, but um, <laughs> just walking downtown with you know the guys from the film, and I think we went to McDonald's and got like a burger and. It was just that kind of bonding experience with everyone again, because I, you know, after the film, we never all got together that often, because obviously how film crews work is you come together for a short amount of time and then everyone disperses again to their own lives. So it was actually really nice for most of the actors and a lot of the crew to come back together again like that. And we actually we got to spend time together in the city. You know, we ate out at a couple restaurants in the morning, and it was it was I guess just that communal experience with the people that you worked so hard on the film with was really nice. Um, and we talked about ideas for future projects with people and pitched this and that to someone else. It, it was all really uh, just. The actual experience of being in the city, I think I enjoyed the most about uh, Calgary. So now that we're coming up on the release date in two and a half hours, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see it on like all the different platforms and, you know, see how it's uh, presented, you know, how hard it, it is to find and stuff like that <laughs> in the mess of all the films out there. And I, I want to kind of test it out and, and look at how the 
actual film looks too on the different platforms and different browsers and stuff. I'm sure yeah. there are little differences and stuff with everything, but I also just want to have a moment where I can watch it with my friends and, you know, eat some pizza or something. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be good, eh? Yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah, I agree. I think that if you go along this route and you get to, to little moments like these and you don't cherish them, then I don't know. The, I don't think you're going to have much longevity. So to really take a breath and appreciate the the successes, whether they're, you know, finishing your movie or screening it or festivals or distribution, because there's going to be a lot, a lot of hard times in the middle. So you got to savor those victories and allow yourself to feel proud and gratitude and all that. Yeah. And, and you should be allowed to celebrate a little when something like this happens as well. I, I think there's so much rejection in this industry. That, oh yeah, that one you finally get like a a thumbs up or or an okay. It's okay to celebrate it because the road is full of bumps, and I, and I'm really um, you know grateful to have uh, my name attached to a movie that's going to be out there. I think um, you know the, <laughs> I could walk out the door tomorrow and could get hit by a bus or something. So you never know, yeah. you know how quick life changes. Um, so. Uh, you know, appreciating the little things and, and and celebrating the small victories is definitely okay. I agree. Yeah. I completely agree. It makes on a much more wide viewing perspective of it. It makes me really glad that I left the old life back in Ottawa to like try this crazy thing which is movies right because even though we're not at a point you know we're not going to be able to retire off this or anything like that the the notion that we're at least going to be viewed as capable and think of ourselves as capable to much more of a degree than your average joe it's a good feeling comparative to you know, I'm sure another multiverse Matt where he moved to Vancouver and didn't meet Latif and just kept telling people he wanted to make movies and didn't actually do anything to go towards it. Yeah. And, you know, we're definitely outside of the norm. The fact that we're actually continuing to make movies, even myself, like I, I'm not making movies like constantly, but like the, the pace that I'm keeping and trying to make a short film every now and then it's so much more than what normally happens and I'm grateful mm -hmm. that I'm actually in a position where I can do that because I have lots of colleagues and friends who since graduating film school have not even made a film and it's yep. it's heartbreaking because they're very talented people but there's a bit of like the craziness you need to keep wanting to tell stories that you need and you know it's it's definitely an industry that eats you up if you're not able to c continue creating films i guess yeah all right so last question how has your resolved your resolve to filmmaking changed as a result of what we don't say um definitely a little more hopeful just because I've seen the process, you know, I've been through it and it didn't require like 
a huge miracle. Um, <laughs> you know, we could slowly see the, the steps we were taking. Obviously, there's a lot of luck and chance involved, um, but it's not impossible. You know, you, you could see the actual film from the beginning stages to now it being out there. It, it definitely makes you feel like, well, you know, it doesn't have to be like a blockbuster for it to be a successful um, endeavor. <laughs> as long as it gets to the people and people can actually enjoy and watch the film, that's kind of the victory that you're looking for. Um you know, maybe one day we'll we'll get a movie playing theatrically. Who knows? But it's really just about continuing in the same path. Like I'm, I I wouldn't even be bothered if anything I make ever plays in the theaters, even if it mm-hmm. just goes to streaming and people get to watch it. That's good enough for me. So anything yeah. more than that is really just like a bonus. Yeah, totally. <laughs> for me, it's. I just feel really good about it like there like you mentioned there's so much rejection in all of this and if you're listening to this and thinking wow they had a really easy time making that we did not it's just you know we fucking persevered and we didn't let anything stop us and sure there was some chance and some luck but we worked our goddamn asses off and looking at it now i feel great like i feel like i've made the right choice to like imagine leave ottawa and start this filmmaking life because as hard as it's been and as much work as it's taken and as little money as i've made i feel incredibly fulfilled and i know that i made the right choice because i just love doing it you know even the things that I don't love like distribution was really hard. There's a lot of unflattering things that are as far away from the creative side as you could imagine. Very, very business driven. And I don't love that aspect of it, but filmmaking as a whole, I love it so much that I know I'm never going to stop it. Especially if you can say that after making no money, actually spending your money to make something and you can't wait to do it again, then I just feel very grateful. I've discovered this and had all these wonderful people around me for this ride. And hopefully we'll continue to have all these wonderful people around me for future rides too. Well, as a result of the movie being released tomorrow, I guess we'll be able to do a lot more in-depth episodes diving into specifics of what we don't say. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, uh, not every episode will contain spoilers, but I'm sure some of them will coming up. Yeah, so get get the movie somewhere and watch it before we start talking about everything. <laughs> Yeah, we intentionally priced it low. I remember the uh, the distributor came to me, and in terms of DVDs, at least, they're like, so what do you want to price this at? You want to do, like, twenty four ninety nine, twenty nine ninety nine? I'm like, no, no, God, no. <laughs> Why would I do that? No one wants to pay that. I'm like, what's the lowest? They're like, I don't know, you can do, like, thirteen ninety nine. like, sweet, do that. Like, the lower the better. <laughs> I don't really care how much money we make off this. It's the we just need people to watch it so you know astronomical pricing and when it comes to digital it'll be the same it'll be very affordable yeah i just imagine you grabbing the distributor by the car and being and saying we're trying to sell these man <laughs> yeah what are you an idiot 
yeah. No, it's 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 very cheap. It should be very easy for anyone to see. Yeah. So yeah, get a hold of it uh, through whatever means. And also on the DVD, there's uh, pretty well all of our deleted scenes. Uh, there's a bunch of extras. I did a director commentary. So if you buy a DVD, it's you're not just strictly going to get the movie and nothing else. There's a good amount of bonus features in there to keep you hopefully entertained. And if you enjoy this podcast, then you're definitely going to enjoy those bonus features too. Yeah, the cutscenes and stuff. And also yeah. the, the pretty menu titles that I designed. Yeah, they are gorgeous. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right, well, until next week, I'm Matt Rawson. This is Latif. And this has been Filmcraft. It's brought to you by Acast, podcast hosting service that's cheap and awesome. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for being with us, guys. We'll see you next week. Peace. Bye.